Thanks for downloading the weekly podcast from Bridge Christian Fellowship. To find out more, head to www.bridgecf.org. Um, so two weeks ago I spoke on costly worship. It's an enormous message for me. So I, I never really started <laughs> and I had to finish and tonight I'll probably just dip into a little bit of it. Um, but to recap for those actually know to, to start uh, the scripture that I'm going to kind of bounce off of tonight is Matthew 22:37. Uh, Jesus replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind." That's Matthew 22:37. You can put a, um, a bookmark in there. We'll come back to that in a minute. But just to recap a little bit of what I talked about last time was um, in costly worship, I, I see it as a thank you that refuses to be silenced. There is an overflow in our heart. There are things that we have to say to the Lord, and we should never be silent. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. I also spoke a, a little bit about um, Jesus meeting the woman at the well. He said, the time is coming and has now come where the true worshippers worship in spirit and truth. Those are the kind of worshippers that the Lord seeks. And God is after real, authentic, genuine as we are, as I am here. We want authentic, genuine, real worship. Not, not a facade, not a mask, not a pretense. We come to Jesus just as we are. God loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. He wants to transform us and change us through divine encounter. So um, God is searching the earth. This is my paraphrase of that scripture. God is searching for the earth for those that truly love him. And uh, so his eye is roving to and fro. <laughs> He is looking to find a people in, sh- in who he can show himself strong. And I want to be that person. I want us to be that people where God pours out his blessing. I um, also spent some time talking about King David. I'm a little bit hot and sweaty tonight. One, because it's, it's hot in here. And two, because like King David, I'll not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. If I'm brutally honest, it, it was a challenge for me to start tonight. Um, but the Lord is gracious. And... Uh, King David was in a place of repentance after causing a pestilence on his people because of his attitude. He wanted to know how many we were. He wanted to know how great he was, basically. Um, He lost his humility for a moment in there. And um, and I won't go into that story again. Listen to the podcast. It's really good. Uh, I know because I listened to it myself. But he was offered this place, which was basically the, the foundation of what is now Temple Mount, uh, the threshing floor of Aruna, that was offered to him for free. The guy said, no, no, you're the king, just have it. And he said, I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. Again, that's my paraphrase. But, um, and David's heart was demonstrated in that moment. Even though he'd screwed up, he, he didn't just want something for nothing. He knew it had to cost him something. The, the cost involved in his act of worship was important in that moment. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been an offering worthy to the Lord. If we think about Cain and Abel, they both brought something to the Lord. One was very half-hearted about it, and the other gave his first fruits, his finest, his first choice to God and that's what our offerings about it's giving him our best giving him what is excellent what is good what is noble what is trustworthy what is the the first fruits of our offering to God and it sometimes it really does cost and I want to dig into that a little bit today and talk about what happens when we worship in that place of sacrifice but David as we know is a man after God's heart someone who loves what God loves we also looked at um the divine exchange that happens. I, every time we get to encounter God, something 
will transform in, in us. He is transforming us from one glory to another glory. So when we encounter him, uh, he will bring what he is to us and we get to leave something of us that shouldn't be there behind. Um, and God's very gentle and very kind in that process most of the time. Uh, we also looked at Jonah, that wonderful, quirky, weird story. Um, but it is a beautiful story of worship as well. Um, most people just sing about, I think there was, the Shires were going to burst into song last time. and We never quite got to the, to the Jonah song. It doesn't matter, unless you really want to. <laughs> we know that if anyone that went to Sunday school knows the story of Jonah, but the, the bit I pulled out of that story was what happened in the belly of the whale. Uh, we know that Jonah tried to run from a God who is everywhere, which is a bit silly, isn't it? And we know that he ended up on a ship. We know the, the ship ended up in a storm. And the sailors did all their jiggery-pokery and uh, all their things to try and stop the storm. And in the end, they, they confronted Jonah and said, uh, is this anything to do with you then? Um, and he confessed that it was. And actually, a very noble gesture, he said, toss me overboard and you'll be saved. So he sacrificed his life. There is a little prophetic forerunner demonstration of Jesus. He laid down his life for those sailors. Well, that's what he thought he was doing. You expect to die if you get tossed into a, a, a violent, stormy sea. And um, God had other plans for him, uh, and he sent a fish that swallowed him up. But in the belly of the fish, uh, Jonah had a, a moment of costly worship. In, his, in verse 4 of that book, I think it's chapter one. He said, yeah, I'll look, maybe chapter two. I'll look again to your holy temple, uh, verse nine. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. He made a Davidic decree in that moment. Um, the kind of cry of the heart which God responds to. If it moves us, it will move God and it will move the resources of heaven for us. And so out of his... Uh, act of worship in the belly of the big fish salvation to a city came 120,000 people were saved in that uh, because God responded to his heart and to his act of costly worship delivering 12,000 people from destruction so it also talks about uh, the good heart and the overflow of the heart uh, Luke 6:45 says this a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for out of the overflow of his heart the mouth speaks. And that's the same for all of us. Our hearts are really important. What's going on in them, how we carry them, it really is the, the centre of us. And uh, I'm going to touch on that in just a minute. We're encouraged to guard our hearts because it is the wellspring of our life. And God wants us to walk about with a peace in our hearts, whatever storm we're in. And we know that wonderful phrase that every storm we can sleep through is a storm that we have authority over. And we get to carry the same grace and peace that Jesus did. And to have a peace that is beyond understanding, sometimes we just have to go through things that don't make any sense at all, things that we don't understand. We have to steer the ship of our hearts through storms that don't make any sense, navigate our way through those times, and that will prepare us for increase and it will prepare us for God's provision in our life. And we, that means that we have to place ourselves, align ourselves in a position of trust we put our hope, we put our faith, we put our belief in God. And when we do that, we position ourselves 
for him to show himself strong in our lives, in our situations. Because our internal realities change the external ones. What is on the inside comes out whether you like it or not. That's a, another way of saying out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So when we speak positive into the atmosphere, we bring positive, we bring peace. Speak to the storm. Blind eye be open. Deaf ear be open. That's, we're taking what's inside of us and bringing it out. And out of a place of intimacy is our greatest authority. Something I really felt as I was just preparing some of these words was that I actually believe God is positioning us for a breakthrough. And I don't just mean us, but I do mean us. I think there's a regional thing going on, but specifically for this family, God is positioning us for breakthrough. We have seen some amazing things. We just, if you actually just take stock for a moment over the last 10, 15 years, uh, the amazing things that we've been involved in, hosting uh, renewal meetings, gathering 600 people every Monday night for three months, praying for thousands of people, seeing incredible healing, seeing people impacted by the Holy Spirit. We had meetings in Central Baptist Church where the floor was covered with people. There wasn't actually enough room because of the power of God moved in our, in our midst and hosting his presence, hosting the goodness of God amongst us, seeing so many healings and miracles and signs that point to the wonder of who he is. Um, that is our God and that's what we've been part of. But I really believe that God wants to do uh, something new in us in the sense of what is happening in the earth is focusing in places where his name and his presence is honoured. If you've been around me for a little while, you'll have heard me talk about the Tabernacle of David, and that isn't my subject for tonight, but it is my life story. So normally when I speak, something of it will come out. Um, I've just been sat on a balcony in front of the most beautiful landscape for a few days, beginning to write some more of that story, the promise of the presence. And just reaffirms and confirms to me that thing that God put in my heart when I was a teenager still resonates with me today with the same fire and the same passion and however hard it is and however disappointed I've got at times and however much I wanted to throw everything in I still know that God is good and he wants to do this thing with people that are hungry and passionate the people that want his presence over anything that people that would sell everything for that field that's got the pearl in it you know god is looking for people that love him that really love him that would do anything for him you know when god has got your heart he's got all of you and that's what he wants so i believe that god is positioning us for a breakthrough and there is a rising tide we've been in um, a couple of different nations recently and i've connected with some of the guys from global awakening who've been in um, Sweden uh, and some of the European countries, and there is incredible hunger and passion growing. And we need to be in the boat to catch the rising tide. If you stand on the shore, you're going to miss it. You'll just say, well, look at that happening over there. And sometimes it feels like what we had, we've left a long way behind. But I'm trusting that what we desire, what we're after, what we're hungering for, God will do again with us. If we say yes. The Ark of the Covenant was known as the Ark of Agreement. An agreement between man and God. And God is looking for our agreement with him. So when we say yes, that is a costly sacrifice, an act of worship that God takes seriously. 
more seriously than we do sometimes. And the tabernacle of David, I see the restoration of the tabernacle of David, which talks about in Amos 9 and Acts 15, is God is going to restore the fallen tent of David so that all men will come to him. And that will happen in places that host his presence, that honour his name and gather around him. And it's something that we're very passionate about. You're probably here if you're a visitor tonight because you love coming into the environment where God is because we just make a little bit of space in the room to say God space in the room to say God have your way amongst us and it's that place of presence that draws in the lost that draws in the hurting that draws in the broken that brings healing that brings deliverance that brings salvation and I've seen it in hot spots around the earth and I've seen it here amongst us and we will see it again I really believe it Amen uh, one last thing I said last time, it's just a, a reflection really, and it's not necessarily specifically about us, it's more of an observation about what goes on in worship times, is you know, why is it sometimes we come to the end of a song in worship and there's silence, it's quiet. I stand on the stage sometimes going, is there really, some people got nothing to say to the saviour of the universe? the one who paid everything for us have we got no words on our lips to utter at this point and I love holy silence don't get me wrong and I understand you had a bit of time like that last week um, but when it's awkward and empty you're kind of thinking come on we've been given so much there is gratitude that we can bring there is praise that we can put on our lips there is an offering from our heart that should overflow out of the overflow of our heart we should be giving glory to his name so I'm not here to beat you up tonight I'm just trying to say we, we have more to give to the Lord and, and I'll tell you why in just a moment because actually passion is inspirational and enthusiasm is um, catching uh, just as much as apathy is as well you can sit in a room of apathetic people and you'll think well I, I would be procrastinate but I'll, I'll leave that till tomorrow <laughs> but a, a flag waved here and a shout a praise there and other things that spark enthusiasm will inspire in each of us to bring all that we are to all that he is and we're here as a family to worship him with everything that we have and to encourage one another in the process and uh, yeah, I don't stand on the stage as a, a leader of worship, a worship leader or a lead worshipper, whichever the current approved definition <laughs> is depending on who you listen to, to tell you or whoever I'm standing in front of in worship what to do we come to gather corporately to bring our offering to the Lord and he wants to hear that he wants to hear what's in our hearts so my encouragement is let's bring all that we have let's bring the overflow of our hearts let's speak out what we have on our lips lips to say because there's something quite significant that happens when we gather corporately and the word for praise that God inhabits in Psalm 223 is God inhabits the Tehillah of his people that is the heartfelt spontaneous uh, action from our hearts that's the kind of praise that God lives in that's the praise that God um, descends upon and so if we want God to come and draw near to us as we often pray draw near to us as we draw near to you and he can get closer and there's more of his glory filling the temple then he's going to be in the praise that is the overflow. It isn't the, the, the thing that we bring when the, the words of the song 
aren't on the screen anymore. You know, and we're not all here to be spontaneous singers. We we love the creative worship, and there's lots of different ways that we worship. It's, and I know, and I've said it many times, God is a heart reader, not a lip reader, and we can all sit in silence and we can pray to God and he can hear us. But something quite significant happens when we bring a joyful noise into the room and the intensity grows. And uh, I've seen God move in in our meetings and in other meetings like that when the intensity grows, the passion grows and we just think a few years ago we had that Encounter Heaven conference and everyone danced for about 45 minutes, I've never seen that in one of our meetings ever a little bit of dancing, it was just party time, there was such joy and such happiness about being in that environment that it was just such an amazing time so what I'm basically saying I'm not here to work it up, I'm not going to whip you into a I worship the Lord or else it's just just worship together and see what God does because God wants to live in our praises and uh, you know get for the lamb that was slain the reward for his suffering that's part of the call of my life and uh, the reward for his suffering isn't me mumbling into my chest on a Sunday night it's me shouting at the top of my lungs how great he is and there is a time and a place for everything I know but but God loves the overflow of our hearts and the passion that we have he loves the personal thank you that refuses to be silenced so whatever is going on whatever we're facing whatever we're struggling with you know pay the price because Jesus has I really encourage us to, to bring more because God has more for us So, introduction then. <laughs> that was recap, sort of, and a little bit of prophetic inspiration. Um, there, one of the things that God's been speaking to me about, and I really want us to hear, is how important it is to align ourselves with kingdom principles, like sowing and reaping, like giving and receiving. Those things are really crucial. If we want to see more of the kingdom, more of his provision, then we need to do what it says. We need to obey his commands, do what he's asked us to do. Hear and obey is radical obedience that will transform us and transform our society. I really believe it. Um, Okay, Matthew 22. I want to go there. Matthew 22 was quite fun really because Jesus basically slapped the Sadducees and the Pharisees all in a few verses Um, he silenced them with his astonishing teaching if you don't know the Sadducees was a Jewish sect who didn't believe in resurrection but they were influences of uh, social, political and religious society as were the Pharisees they're another ruling class in Jewish society they were very proud about their own ability to keep all the rules. They're very external. And look at us, look how how wonderfully we do all of this stuff. But they imposed and oppressed the people with the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law, as we know. And um, Matthew 22, verse 34, Jesus said this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, Pharisees thought it was... Um, their turn so they got together one of them an expert in the law tested him with this question it's quite funny that I know they don't really know who he was but they're asking the creator of the universe they're going to trick him aha our wisdom is greater than God's (laughs) we will trick you with our wisdom and um, anyway 
Verse 36 said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I, I, you can read that for homework if you like. Carry on and just look at that passage. It's quite fun. But um, let's look at the heart for a moment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We could spend a long time looking at what the Bible teaches about personhood, um, but I'm not going to do that tonight. But I want to say this, because it's important for what we're building on. We are an indivisible whole that you cannot separate the bits from. All the bits that we mentioned, body, soul, spirit, or heart, or mind, or will, emotions, are just windows, really. Think of them as windows into the same total reality. And it is a long story, but... Um, let's think of the heart as our executive centre, the big boss, the, um, the one that's in charge. So what the heart is doing is really important uh, because it's the one that thinks and feels and moralises in our life. It takes responsibility and directs our will. Um, and in other words, then, to have the heart, like God had the heart of David, is to have the whole person God had all of David, and he wants all of us. He wants to have the whole person of us. That's why Jesus quoted this passion because passage, because he cares if we are wholehearted or not. He, Jesus wants all of us. That's a good page of notes. It's, it's nothing on there. There we go. <laughs> God, just wipe those pages. I'll see some more minutes. Speak about them. God does want all of us. And as you scholars know, Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy uh, when he said that. And another, another paraphrase is, is love God with every fibre of your being. All that you are, everything that you are. Love him with all of that. Bring everything that you have. All your energy, all your enthusiasm, all your passion, all your desire. Bring all of that to God. Don't bring, um, can't really be bothered, not sure if I want to be here, not sure about anything. The, the half-hearted, apathetic sort of response to God is really not appropriate because of who God is and what he's done for us. When you think about what happened on the cross, and we've just done that recently at Easter time, you get to focus again, don't we? It's like adjusting the lens on a camera. You get to zoom in and see Jesus bloody beaten, broken on the cross, put in the ground and then raised from the dead and see him glorified. And there is a moment to take stock and realise what he did for you personally, which demands, I feel, for someone that said yes, demands more than, well, you know, I don't know. I, I, we all get tired, I understand that. But God is looking for a hungry heart. He's looking for the passion where he can land his resources into our lives. That's what I'm getting to, towards. God wants all that we have, all that we are, brought to him as an offering worthy of who he is. He really does. And don't get me wrong, I know what it's like to pay the price to worship the Lord. I know what it's like to give everything when you've got nothing when you're actually in so much pain you don't want to be stood at the front singing songs or 
or stood at the front doing a teaching and well, I'd much rather be tucked up at home watching something on the TV but actually there's a call on my life to, to follow hard after him to set my face like flint to press through and go after all that he is because I still believe that God wants to bring revival to this land and he's going to do it through people like us who are hungry and passionate to go after him whatever it costs and whether it looks a bit weird at times because he wants people that are faithful people that he can trust people that when he he asks a question the answer is yes because when the answer is yes he'll do anything with you whether he really needed you to do that thing in the first place it's more about will you say yes not the thing he's asking you to do and God wants us to be people that will agree with his heart and with his mind and with his spirit so we bring our heart into that environment. Costly worship. You can look at it like this. Sometimes in our worship we pour out fine virgin olive oil as our anointing, our offering to the anointed one. And other times when circumstances have pulled out of us something poignant and powerful, powerful from deep within us, we actually pour onto Jesus' head that same perfumed spikenard oil that Mary poured on Jesus and I want to talk about that tonight again and other times I just think we squeak out a little bit of three in one drip drip and we think that's enough and you know God knows who we are and knows where where, where we're at and he knows we're on a journey but I believe that God is looking for maturity in his people he's looking for a response out of our hearts that we will sacrifice ourselves in the midst of our own loss or pain, that we will give ourselves when things don't turn out right. If I can just mention Baron Sharon for a moment, I remember standing in a hospital corridor with them when they'd lost a loved one. And Barry just said, (laughs) we've lost this time, we're going to go again. We're not giving up. That's a sacrifice of heart and passion that just brings something so so beautiful to the surface. That you might lose one battle, but we win the war and we keep fighting because God is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Our sacrifice in the midst of loss releases something in us. Uh, which I see as uh, an oil of anointing. There is an, an anointing in our lives as overcomers that just causes the stuff of the enemy to fall off. If you imagine that the, the way that a, an, a, a water bird, like a duck or something, their, their, their feathers are covered and coated in oil, aren't they? So when the water hits, it just runs off in globules. It's amazing when you see that. And I see that as we become greater overcomers, that, that God is coating us with that same thing. So the stuff of the enemy just doesn't stick anymore. The hooks that were once in us have been straightened out and pulled out. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil could find nothing in him. Nothing. When we get tempted, when someone presses one of our buttons, anything might happen because we haven't yet dealt with all the insecurities, all the issues of our hearts. However, we can still stand, say yes, and give who we are to God because there is a divine exchange that happens. And some of those things that we struggle with, some of that insecurity, some of that lack of 
confidence or whatever is, is spoken to, is breathed on by the breath of heaven because God will stir in us uh, a heart of a warrior because that's who he sees. And that again is a message for another day. But it really is a powerful demonstration of being a devoted son or a devoted daughter. Psalms 24 and verse 7 says this, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. I remember singing a song when I was a teenager. It made no sense to me at all based on this song, uh, uh, based on this psalm. I can't remember it to sing it to you now, but it was, I just didn't get it at all. You know, what, how can gates lift their heads up? And, and how do you do that? And what's that about? And why are we singing that anyway? It doesn't make any sense. But there is a meaning in it, as, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, and so I just want to pick a little bit of that meaning out right now because it's quite important in and under this idea of what our costly worship is um, it also says in Psalm 87 verse 2 that the gates of Zion are God's favourite dwelling place he prefers them to any other place, any other of Jacob's dwellings so basically saying the gates of Zion are God's favourite dwelling place and uh, the metaphor here is for gates is actually praise and uh, we, if we look in Isaiah 60, verse 18, uh, the prophet said there, But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. I'm starting to understand what lift up your heads, O ye gates, means. Isaiah is describing Jerusalem, the spiritual city, but it, it fits so well for us personally and corporately. That which protects us, is our salvation but our gates are the way Jesus the king of glory comes in he comes in through praise for he said that God inhabits the praises of his people he lives there so he's entering in through a gate uh, touched about a pearl already a pearl of great price breaks something open in the spiritual realm Revelation 21.21 21 talks about the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was, was one solid pearl. How is a pearl formed? Who knows there? I don't even know what subject it is. Is that biology? Is that geology? Is that something. <clears throat> Normally it's... A lot of us would think... If I was doing QI now, if I was Stephen Fry, I'd be asking that question. I'd be waiting for someone to say, oh, it's when a piece of grit goes into the shell and then it layers the uh, grit with the, with the mother of pearl. And I go, meh. Because that is sort of right, but it isn't really the right answer. The right answer is that it's normally a parasite, an irritant that, that comes in to that. And <clears throat> the, the oyster shell, or the oyster, I guess, starts to coat this parasite and basically closes it over and prevents this parasite from hurting itself. So it's a protecting thing. So the irritation in the, sh- in, in the, in the mollusk, excuse <laughs> <laughs> the collective term, is, um, is what releases the pearl, the coating that coats the pearl. So it's irritation that forms the pearl. And it's created out of a potentially threatening 
environment, which I think is quite an interesting thing. So we're asked to lift up our heads, O ye gates, be lifted up, so the King of glory come in. The gates are where God loves to dwell, and Isaiah says the gates are called praise. So our praise is what Jesus comes in through a place that God loves to dwell. So when we worship, when we praise uh, in a place of obstruction, in a place of um, opposition, if we give uh, our exaltation to him in in confusion or in conflict, when we position ourselves to, to give God everything in the midst of loss and in difficulty, that's the irritation, if you like, that forms the gate. That's what forms the pearl in us. So the encouragement I want to bring is when something really hurts us, when something doesn't make sense, we need to stop and give thanks. Come in the opposite spirit. Just thank you, God, for who you are and what you, your nature is and, and the fact that you are for me. And if you're for me, who can be against me? That you are still in charge. You are still in control. And I thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for my life, a plan to prosper me and not harm me. It's that sort of declaration and decree that shifts the atmosphere in a moment. And that's what God is looking for, the response of our heart. His mercies and his loving kindness are new every morning. So decree that over your situation. And the I am is for you. I am is saying, I am with you. And God will set everything in place for our victory. And I really believe it. That's what he wants to do. It's really easy to praise God if we just won the lottery, isn't it? It's not hard to say, yay, I'm so excited. (laughs) It's not so easy to praise God when it looks like our prayers haven't been answered. When things are difficult, when our circumstances cause confusion. But when we praise there, that's when the pearl is formed. That's when the gate is formed in us. So, yeah. Anyone here struggle with self-pity? Just one or two. All of the rest of you are too self-conscious to put your hands up, aren't you? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> the point I want to make is going back to the psalm is, is lift your heads look up where does your strength come from where does your help come from look look up i spent days sat on a balcony looking at a majestic scene of a beautiful lake and mountains to one side you just see creation before you and it just calls praise out of my heart it's so stunning and so beautiful and so inspiring lift up your heads if our heads go down because we're discouraged. We're already looking in the wrong direction. And self-pity will not attract the favour of God. It will not draw him close. We're in the kingdom. Kingdom principles apply here. It might work as a little toddler, a little baby. You know, um, God will move. God does restore the pieces of our broken hearts Um, that's the provision he made but the provision has been made it has been given so once the provision has been given God is looking 
for a mature response in us. We do, really don't want to be changing the nappies of teenagers, do we? No. Somebody agrees me. Someone that actually has to change the nappies of grown-ups. God is looking for us to lift our heads up out of, off of ourself and our circumstance and our situation because the King of Glory wants to come in and inhabit our situation and our circumstances. And maturity costs something. But David said, a phrase that just echoes through eternity, what we do today will echo through the halls of eternity. Or was that gladiator? <coughs> I'm not sure. But I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. That's such a key phrase uh, that should, our hearts should lift and respond to. So once the human need is met, to get heaven's resources moving, we need to activate our faith. We need to choose to believe. We need to choose to put our hope in him who is the provider for us. You know, when we are immature, when we're babies in the faith, God comes and looks after us and wipes our nose and picks us up and does all that stuff. But after that, when we start to grow in the things of the kingdom, God is looking for a mature response of our hearts. You know, what we cry out for in life sometimes will only be released when we lift our heads to the king, when we offer our praises, whatever is going on. When our mature response is, I know who you are and I know who you say I am and whatever is going on before me right now doesn't change that. I will not not let the facts get in the way of the truth. I will not. You have to believe you are favoured to walk in God's favour. Believe it. This is the year of the Lord's favour. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Just as he's anointed you. And I declare to you that this is the year of the Lord's favour. That is not a 365 day period of time. It is a state of mind. You have to believe you are favoured. So we need to take every opportunity to take difficult circumstances and turn them into praise because when we do that we are forming something incredibly valuable that is part of the kingdom the pearl of great price and that's what invites the king of glory to come in it really does I spoke a little bit about this uh, the last time I spoke on costly worship, but I just want to spend a little bit of time on one, just the most beautiful passage and story of anointing when Jesus was in Bethany, uh, the house of Simon the leper. And uh, we're going to look at John's version of this. You can find it in Matthew 26, you can find it in Mark 14, but we're looking at John chapter 12. Verses 1 to 8. And six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead. That's, that's pretty exciting right there. <laughs> Having supper with a formerly dead person. And uh, he had been raised from the dead. That would explain why he's not dead anymore. Uh, there they made Jesus a supper and Martha served. 
but Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Now, um, if you hadn't joined the dots, Martha Mary, Mary is the one that brings the oil in. This is my understanding of it. I might not be right here, but that's what I believe. Um, Mary is the one who sat at Jesus' feet when Martha made a pile of sandwiches that Jesus never asked for. Mary is the one who waited for the Lord, didn't rush around to meet him. And Mary is the one that did this. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It's interesting he knew how much it was worth. And then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, John got his number, and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone, she has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Jesus said, everywhere the gospel we preach should be remembered. This was the most costly act of physical worship done to Jesus. A year's wages worth of fine perfumed oil poured out over the saviour of the world. And the disciples got indignant. They often got in the way of what Jesus wanted to do, didn't they? It does give you kind of hope as a follower of Jesus that it doesn't matter how much of a screw-up you are. You get to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his wisdom. And he doesn't push you away. He just gently rebukes you and and tells you to get on with it. He doesn't cast you forever from his sight, never to be seen again. You don't get excommunicated when you screw up with Jesus. You just get picked up and told to carry on. It's really important. Church family needs to be a place where grace and love is bonding relationships together. They were indignant, angry and confused and they didn't get what was going on. Jesus said, let her alone. She's doing a wonderful thing for me. She has anointed me for my burial. One of the translations says, they criticised her sharply. So I imagine they spoke quite nastily to her in that culture where um, women were second-class citizens. And I I don't know, have you ever thought what it would have been like to have been sat at that table, how you would respond? You know, I'm pretty English, I know most of you are, some of you aren't, Um, but if some woman came in and started pouring oil over your anointed guest and and rubbing it all in and and wiping her hair and her feet, I'd have been quite embarrassed. Embarrassment, that would be the first thing that comes up. Um, I'm not sure if bodyguard mode would have come out in me at that point, I'd have been like, oh, this is a bit weird, not sure what to do. Um, and so the disciples in that state of confusion were going, hey, hang on a minute, this is a bit weird, not sure what's happening, stop that at once, sell this, sell this and give it to the poor, why are you doing that? And, and they really, really kind of reacted, as we probably all would have done the same. And uh, money-grabbing Judas tried to make a pious point, but um, 
I suspect he was already thinking about, oh, if I sold this, then I could filter my usual 20% off the top and no one would notice, except Jesus knew. And yet he still gave him the money box because he gave him every day a chance to be righteous with finances. <laughs> Choice. So Jesus gently rebuked his lads and told them to let her alone because what she was doing was beautiful and significant to him and he knew what it cost her I think if Mary had a bigger lump of spikenard or a larger alabaster jar she would have used that but she had all that she had and she used that as a costly sacrificial act of worship over the Lord and uh, so she broke the seal of the jar poured and poured fragrant oil over his head and continued what was probably humiliating to her maybe but a very humble act of sacrificial worship by ultimately wiping his soon to be pierced feet with her hair and in that moment the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil the fragrance of her costly act of worship affected everyone in the room and she was covered in the same oil, the same fragrance, when she'd finished her act of worship to God. It was on her hands, it was on her clothing, I think it was in her hair. So when she left their house, she would have carried the fragrance of Jesus with her. Our costly worship, the thing that creates the pearl of great price means that the fragrance of the Lord rubs off on us, rubs off on us. We get to smell the same as Jesus. There is something quite wonderful and extravagant in that worship. But when we pour out our heart, proskinio is, is a word for worship, and it literally means to kneel towards like a dog. That humbling act of worship, I'm kneeling, I'm putting myself prostrate and flat towards Jesus. That's what she was doing. And God is calling that response out of us. A fragrant offering that is so acceptable to him, so welcomed by him, so appreciated by him and so defended by him. Did Jesus not defend her from the rebuke? of the disciples just as if we do something that's a little bit out of the ordinary a little bit extravagant a little bit it costs us and people might not understand what we're doing but God knows and God is doing something in us in that moment of sacrificial worship he knows your journey he understands what your heart response to him is and it's very very sweet to him it is a sweet sweet gift and when we finish with what we give to him our house gets to be full of that fragrance too we often have people in our house that come and say how peaceful it is and uh, and I just think they're picking on something that's been established there for a long time before we owned the house it was owned by a Christian family and they were lay preachers in in, um, St. James's Church and had a lot of prayer meetings and things there so in the fabric of the building there's been years and years of prayer and worship and whatever and and that stuff lives in the ground it lives in the fabric of the building and i think it's really precious why there's this cry in my heart to have a place to call home and a place of his presence 
that what we put in the ground actually establishes something. We dig a well that will release the living water of, of, of life to other people. We, we punch a spiritual hole above us that will never be interfered with because we've put something in the ground. And you know, I think the same in a, in a place. When, when we worship God with such abandon, with such passion, with such sacrifice, it releases something into the atmosphere that everyone picks up on it, whether they actually know who Jesus is or not. Yeah. Worship releases something that lasts more than just a moment. That's what's important. And just finishing with what Mary was doing. It's a scripture what I've always loved. It's 2 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 14. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. God always leads us in triumph and through us diffuses the fragrance. What a great poetic phrase this. When we go, the fragrance, it's a bit like that, that um, comfort or whatever it is, it's in your clothes, that you rub your clothes and it releases the smell. <laughs> there you go, just as an application. That when we encounter God, when we pour ourselves out and, and give ourselves to him, something rubs off on us. That when we go out from this place, we get to release that fragrance, that smell, that sacrificial offering that brings something so deep and so powerful out of God that we are a pearl that's being formed by the situations and circumstances that could so easily challenge and derail us. But the things that go wrong are supposed to throw us onto God, not just throw us off course. Be thrown onto the rock. <laughs> or throw yourself onto the rock and let God establish and ground you in something so true and so good. Divine exchange means we carry the fragrance of the knowledge of the Anointed One everywhere we go fragrance of Jesus why don't we just uh, I was going to say bow our heads but we should lift our heads up <laughs> I want to pray just to close this evening Father I want to thank you for your costly act of worship the fact that you quoted the Psalms on the cross that you gave worship up for us and that you receive our worship you receive our praise you receive our gratitude it is an acceptable fragrant offering to you and I, Father I ask that you would stir something in our hearts that brings an overflow and that whatever hindrances might be there for us expressing who we are and what you've done for us will be removed in Jesus name uh, rebuke a spirit of fear in Jesus name from people that just don't want to carry it that embarrassment that fear of man that stuff that holds us back from being exuberant and overflowing we, we want to see that established in us and anything that isn't of you gone in Jesus name we thank you Lord that in the moment of encounter there is divine exchange we want to lay everything down at your feet that we know in our hearts that we don't want to be carrying anymore
So I just invite you, whatever it is, just picture that thing and picture yourself putting it down at the foot of the cross and leaving it there. And don't you dare pick it up again. Jesus died so you would be free. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And we're here to win for the Lamb that was slain the reward for his suffering. And the reward for his suffering is not only salvation, it is healing, it is deliverance, and it is the outpouring of Holy Spirit. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to rain down on our hearts again into our mind and will and emotions that would be stirred, that you would instruct the boss of ourselves, the the heart, our innermost being, that your rivers of living waters would be free to flow through us in Jesus' name. And that our understanding would change. And Father, I do ask that we would change the way we think. We would be transfigured and transformed by the renewal, the renewal of our minds. That you would help us to change the way we think. That we would activate our faith to stand on the truth of who you are and who you say we are. We are your people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are chosen individually and personally by you. And you have released your furious love to pursue us and rescue us and set us on a path of transformation that we get to transform the atmosphere around us by releasing what is inside of us. And what is inside of us is you. Christ, the hope of glory. So I pray your blessing on everyone here tonight. And every member of our family that isn't here, Lord, I release a blessing into their hearts right now. That they would receive everything that we get tonight in your presence, in your glory. Everything that you've spoken to us about. I thank you, Lord, that the vibration of Holy Spirit is over us in this place. There is a resonant frequency happening in the uh, in the atmosphere that is shifting things even as we sit here Lord you're shifting things away ungodly stuff is being driven away as you refine us as you restore us as you heal us as you rescue us as you put us in place us in the right direction for yours is the kingdom yours is the power and you We hope you enjoyed the Bridge Christian Fellowship podcast. Visit us at www.bridgecf.org.